This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. Sharing common faith and serving one another is a key component that separates fellowship from friendship. If you want to go deeper than just acquaintance, if you want to go deeper than just we share hobbies and we both ride bikes or we both work on cars or we both play a certain sport or we're both in the same fantasy football league or whatever it happens to be. If you want to go deeper than that, then the way you're going to get there is through sharing your common faith and serving one another. That's the way you're going to get there. Do you fellowship with other believers, or do you settle for mere friendship? Finding a common hobby and spending time around that hobby is fun and fairly simple, but there's something deeper that can only be found in a spiritual connection with others. Today, Pastor Cody explores the difference between fellowship and friendship in the Book of Romans. In order to go beyond service-level friendships, you have to humble yourself and open yourself up to the other person by serving and sharing your faith. Now. Turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 1 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. Most people, they're striving for balance in life. It's probably something you think about. It's probably something that's on your heart and on your mind that you're wondering, you know, where's the balance in my life? Am I, am I overbalanced on this area? Am I, you know, am I, maybe right now you're watching way too much Netflix. That's out of balance, right? So most people are trying to figure out how to balance some different things in their lives. And in this, one of the things I I, want to just draw to your attention is that I believe that this is a fundamental misunderstanding of how life works. That as we're doing this, as we're trying to figure out how to to how to balance out our lives, we're just not understanding it correctly, especially lives in Christ. You see, the illusion of balance is seen as your life is like a linear stack. And you put the most important thing and you got to put that on the very top of the stack. And then from there, everything else falls in diminishing value underneath that as value of importance. And we just, you know, line everything up in this stack. And the reality of it is that that's a great way to run a business. It's a great way to run an organization, but a terrible way to live your life. If you try to live your life that way, it's never going to work. And so people who are seeking balance live in perpetual frustration. They're constantly frustrated. They're constantly filled with worry and anxiety because they they feel like they're running to one side and trying to keep the balance and then running back to the other side and trying to keep the balance. And it just seems to never work. As soon as things seem like they're all stacked and lined up and everything's working great, then it all starts to fall apart once again. The reason is because... Balance is really, it's an illusion. It's a thing that we're chasing that's an illusion. You see, your life isn't like a linear stack. Your life is a lot more like the solar system. Your life is is like the solar system. And at the very center of the solar system is the sun. And then everything else is revolving around the sun's gravity. Everything within our solar system is either in the solar system and revolving around the sun or it's outside the solar system and it doesn't belong. It's not in. That's much more how your life works. And so the question is not, how do I stack everything up and put the most important things at the top? The question is, what is at the position of the sun? What's at the center of your life? Is it the son of God? Is it Jesus? Does he have that position of being the centerpiece of everything? And then anything and everything that's in your life revolves around the gravity of Jesus. 
Or is something else taking the center place in your life? Is it your ego and your pride and your fame and your popularity? Is it your, your hobby, your, your sport, your thing that you like to tinker on, that next thing you need to buy, that next place you need to go? What's at the centerpiece of your life? What's driving everything? What's the gravity at which everything else in your life revolves around? What is taking that place? What has the most important position? You see, you can either have balance or you can have a radical life, but you can't have both. You're not going to be able to have both. Think about Jesus. Would you call his life balanced? Absolutely not. Think about the apostle Paul. Everyone's like, man, Paul's amazing. I I just wish I could live a life like the apostle Paul. Was his life balanced? Absolutely not. He was crazy. The guy would travel across the known world on foot just to go talk to people about Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here in Romans. I want to come and see you guys and be able to preach the gospel in Rome as well. You see, you can have a radical life or you can have a balanced life, but you can't have both. And so what I want to encourage you to do is stop chasing balance. Start chasing a radical life in Christ. That's where life is really going to be found. And so Paul here in verses 9 and 10, he spends time on two things in order to deepen and further relationship with the people of Rome. Notice there in verse 9, he says this, For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit, with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers." The first thing that Paul gives attention to, the number one thing that that he says here in order to deepen and further relationship is prayer. This is a habit of prayer that he has. He says that without ceasing, I make mention of you in my prayers. And what he's talking about is how I'm praying often. I'm praying all the time. It's something that I'm constantly doing. And every time I'm praying, you are a part of my prayer. That it's something that is just a, a natural part of the way that he prays. His habit is to be in prayer. And he's often praying for the church In Rome, here, let me say it to you this way. What you pray about is what you care about. You only pray about the things that you care about. If you say you care about something, but it's never on your mind, it's never something you're talking about, you're not talking to God about it, then I would challenge you to say, I don't think you really care about that thing. It's not something that you really genuinely value if you don't pray about it, if it's not on your heart and mind. If you don't pray about it, you don't really care about it, no matter what you say. You see, think about your relationships. Think about the different kinds of relationships that you have in your life. Are you praying for them? Are you praying for those people in your life? Do they come across your heart and mind? Are you asking for God's favor in their life? Are you asking for God's blessing in, your li- in their life? Are you asking for God to direct their path? Are you asking for God to unveil and reveal different things to them? Are they a part of that prayer? Who's left out? Who doesn't make your list? Who's not there? Is it maybe some people in your family, some people in your church? Do you pray for the church? I hope you do. I pray that you do. I I mean, I think about this, Paul saying, I'm praying for you, the church of Rome, and their impact is so massive that the whole known world knows about it. I wonder how much of that is attached to people were praying for the church in Rome. And so I pray and I hope that you're praying for us, for our church as well. Do you pray for the people who are at work or maybe your neighbors? Do you pray for your enemies? Remember Jesus told us to do that? Pray for your enemies. It's really hard to hate somebody if you're praying for them. Who's that person you don't want to pray for? Right now you're arguing with me. You don't want to pray for them. They're in your mind. You're like, I don't, I don't want to even think about them. You should pray for them. Take some time to ask for God to lead them and direct them and guide them. You'll have a really hard time hating people you're praying for. Number two, not only does Paul spend time on prayer, but look at verse 10. He says this, making request if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. 
He says, I want to actually get there. Not only does Paul pray, but number two, the thing that he spends time on to deepen and further the relationship is making plans and preparation to spend time together. He has plans to say, I want to be with you. I don't want to just write a letter to you. I don't want to just connect to you in distance. I want to actually be physically where you are. And and this is also what Paul says he's praying about. Not only is he praying for them, but he's saying, I'm praying that God would allow me to be able to come and spend some time with you. You see, most of us live our lives through the matrix of, when we're thinking about time, uh, through the matrix of, I'm going to value quality time over the quantity of time. That if I've got a pick, then I'm going to say, you know what? I just want some really good time instead of just abundance or a lot of time. And I understand why we think that and why we value that. Because really, if you were to value one over the other, of course, the quality of the time matters far above the amount of time that's spent. But here's the thing that I want to submit to you. Here's the thing I want to challenge you to think about with this. You don't know when the quality time is going to show up. How often has it been that in the middle of just these random things in life, that all of the sudden something really quality, something really genuine, something really amazing happens spontaneously that you didn't plan? You see, the issue with it is not that quality time isn't the valuable thing. It's that you don't know when it's going to show up. And quality time shows up in the abundance of the quantity of time. That when you have a lot of time being spent with people, that's where the good, genuine things come from. You see, if you want a deeper relationship, you're going to have to spend time. You're going to have to make effort to be with that other person. More time equals better relationship. That's just generally the way that it goes. Here's how David Jeremiah says it. If you want to have friendships, it's always your turn. Think about that. If you want friendships, it's always your turn. How many times have you said, I just, I don't know why, but I don't don't have friends or I don't have that relationship or it's not as deep as I want it to be. Well, it's always your turn. When's the last time you reached out? When's the last time you said, hey, uh, let's spend some time together? Now, okay, I know we're doing the social distancing thing and you're like, I can't, okay? The government told me no. And so you're like, okay, I, I get that. I understand that. But are you making plans for it? Are you like Paul saying, I want this. I'm thinking on this. I'm praying for this. I'm planning for this, that when the opportunity comes, then I'm going to do this. You see, I can't tell my wife I love her and not make plans and preparations to spend time with her. Not to give her my attention. You see, the love is displayed through the time. Secondly, not only do good relationships require time, but they also require effort. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says this, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. You see, Paul understood here as he goes into this next piece that he understood that Christian growth, how it happens, that he didn't see himself in some sort of superior position. He wasn't saying, I'm up here and you're down here. And so really I'm awesome and you're just lowly. I'm the apostle Paul and you're just the Christian's in Rome. No, he understood it that the ground at the foot of the cross is level, that there is no hierarchy in Jesus, that there's not other people who are closer to you. And so you've got to go sit in a box with a lattice between you and ask them to pray for you and forgive your sins. That's not how it works. The way it works is you've been given access directly to God because of Jesus, that there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Jesus Christ. You have just as much access to God as I do. I'm not more superior to you. I'm not more 
closer to God than you. And Billy, well, Billy Graham is now because he's in the presence of the Lord. But when he was alive, he didn't have better access to God than you or I did. That there's no hierarchy within Christianity. There's just saints. That's it. There's just people who are in Christ and that's it. And so Paul didn't see himself as above everybody else, but he, he saw that he needed them just as much as they needed him. He didn't want to go to Rome because it was majestic and glorious, even though it's an amazing city, even to this day. Rome's a, one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And, and so, you know, as he is thinking about going to Rome, it's not for all those reasons. It's not because it's a cool vacation spot, but the whole reason was because he wanted to share in their common faith. He wanted them to be grown in the faith just as much as he was. And this longing that Paul has to see them is that he's longing to be connected to them. See that there in verse 11? I long to see you. And when I read that, I was thinking, man, how amazing is it that this is what we're thinking on? This is what we're talking about. This is what we're going through here in our time, in our day. You see, Paul saw the church not as a building or an organization or a set of theological ideas, but he saw it as people in relationship. And that's exactly what we are doing and what we value as well. Proverbs 27, 17 says it like this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. He understood this, right? Do you see that there in verse um, 11 and 12? He says, I want to come to you and impart a spiritual gift. And then he qualifies in verse 12 by saying, you see, really the thing that I'm saying is not that I'm awesome and you need me, but that I want to I want to share my relationship with you. I need something from you as much as you need something from me. That's how it works in the body of Christ. That sharing common faith and serving one another is a key component that separates fellowship from friendship. If you want to go deeper than just acquaintance, if you want to go deeper than just we share hobbies and we both ride bikes or we both work on cars or we both play a certain sport or we're both in the same fantasy football league or whatever it happens to be. If you want to go deeper than that, then the way you're going to get there is through sharing your common faith and serving one another. That's the way you're going to get there. It's not going to be just by the shallow things of life. You're going to have to go into a spiritual dimension in order to get that depth. You see, this is the essence of what discipleship is, what Paul's describing here. A wrong view of discipleship is that I'm higher and you're lower, that, that I know things, you don't know things. I'm awesome, you're not that awesome. I'm the disciple-er, you're the disciple-e. I make disciples of me. That is an absolute wrong view of discipleship. That's not how discipleship works. And if you have that view of discipleship, then I, what I would say is that you have a very prideful, arrogant view of discipleship. That's not what it is. We make disciples of Jesus, not ourselves. If I make disciples of Cody, then I am failing as a pastor. That is not my job. My job is to make disciples of Jesus. And as I do that, the people that I come in contact with and interact with are going to be just as vital to making me a disciple of Jesus. It's this common faith that we're sharing. A right view is that we grow together and that takes humility. You see, if you're humble enough, you can learn from anybody. If you're humble enough, even people who, you know, you look at them, you go, I don't really, all I really learned from you was not what not to do. You can still learn from them. If you're humble enough to do so. In verses 13 through 15, we see that Paul had some plans to get to Rome. See verse 13, he says, Now 
I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I had often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I may have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. So Paul says, my plan was to get there. I've been, I've been thinking about this. I've been praying about this. I've been planning for this. I've been trying to even come, but there's been some hindrances that have come across my path. And you know, the really, the thing was that he wanted to get there, as he says, to have some fruit among them. And he says in verse 15, as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. He says, I want to add my voice to the voice of those who are preaching in Rome so the gospel of Jesus can go out. And I want to participate. I want to be a part of it as well. I want to see lives changed for Jesus. And I want to be able to go to Rome and see that take place. You see, he had plans to get there, but things weren't working out the way that he had hoped. Can you relate to that? You ever have that happen? You've got plans, you've got stuff going on, you've got things taking place, and yet it's just not happening the way that you hoped. This is a common human experience. You're not the redheaded stepchild because your plans didn't work out. God's not mad at you because your plans didn't work out. You're not the kid that God just likes to pick on because your plans didn't work out. This is just a common human experience. Now, there were two reasons that Paul could have been hindered, that his plans could have been hindered. Number one, because God didn't want him to, that God didn't allow him to go. Maybe it was not the right time. Maybe it wasn't the right space. Maybe God had some other things or somewhere else. God wanted Paul to be able to go, whatever it happened to be. And sometimes we have the right heart from God, but not the right timing from the Lord right? God gives you a desire for something and he says, hey, I want you to do this. And, and yet it's just not the right time. It's going to be later on. Or maybe we're not the right person. Maybe God wants that thing to happen. You have the heart for it, but he doesn't want to use you. He just wants you to be praying about it. He wants to use somebody else for it. Think about it like this in Acts chapter 16, verses six through seven, it says, next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Perga and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north of the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. See there in those verses, Acts 16, six through seven, we see that twice the Holy Spirit did not allow Paul to go to the places he intended to go to, to go to the places he wanted to. Now, was there some sort of wrong motive from Paul to go to these places? Of course not. He was going for the express purpose of presenting the gospel. Does God not like those people and doesn't want them to hear the gospel? Of course not. Of course God wants them to hear the gospel, but God had different plans for Paul. And so God moved him where he wanted him to be. And even though he had the right heart, it wasn't the right time or maybe he wasn't the right guy. Secondly, another reason why uh, his plans could have been hindered is because of spiritual warfare. Sometimes you just encounter satanic opposition to the thing that you want to do. You want to do it. God wants you to do it. There's a spiritual desire within you. There's, it's all good and godly and it's the right thing to do. It's the right time. It's everything's good. And yet there's spiritual warfare involved. First Thessalonians 2.18 says it like this. We wanted very much to come to you. Paul wrote Thessalonians, by the way. So he's writing again. He says, we wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but look, Satan prevented us. Sometimes there's a spiritual component to things, stuff you can't, you can't foresee, you can't really necessarily figure out, but you realize later on, this was a spiritual warfare issue. This was something that was hindering us that was satanic opposition. You see, the absence of conflict is not the only way you determine God's will. 
There are more ways than just the absence of conflict to determine God's will. It's not just saying, well, it's smooth sailing, it's easy. And so because the doors just flew wide open and we walked right through and everything just happened, it must be God's will. Maybe not. Maybe Satan's opening doors for you and making it easy for you. Maybe the conflict isn't God resisting you. Maybe it's Satan resisting you. And so we've got to be a little bit more discerning with these things. You see, God's will is determined by sensitivity to the leading of his spirit, not the presence or absence of conflict. You're going to determine what God wants by his spirit leading you. Are you in tune with him? Are you asking him? Are you willing to go the direction he wants you to go? Thirdly and finally, good relationships require time. Good relationships require effort, but also good relationships require God. Verses 16 and 17. Look at verse 16. It says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul declares here in verse 16, an unashamed devotion to the gospel of Jesus. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That this is simultaneously, when I think about Paul, it's simultaneously encouraging and convicting, right? Like, like Paul is, man, I want to be like that guy that is so amazing. I, I can't believe his courage, his faithfulness. I mean, this guy could not be intimidated by anybody. He wasn't intimidated by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem who he was once a part of and had aspirations to grow and become more and more involved in the Jewish leadership. He wasn't intimidated by them. He wasn't intimidated by the political leaders. He, he would talk to any politician, any political leader. He would preach the gospel directly to them and and uh, try to bring them to faith in Jesus, uh, no matter what kind of power they had, even into the house of Caesar himself, when he ended up getting to Rome finally. And Paul also wasn't intimidated by philosophical people that we see him when he's in uh, Athens and talking to the Greek philosophers and the greatest minds of his day. He went and he held his own and he just preached the gospel and he just was there. It's encouraging and, and really amazing all on one end and super convicting on the other hand, because I look at that and I go, man, how often do I just crumble under the pressure? You know, it's like I'm sitting on a plane and I sense the Lord stirring me up. Hey, tell them about Jesus. And I'm like, no, Lord, don't, don't make me do it. You know, I don't really, they don't look like they want to hear. They look like they're really interested in their Cheetos right now. They don't want me to talk to them, you know? And so you just talk yourself out of it. And how often does that happen? You know, where, you know, the Lord's stirring you up and you just don't take the opportunities that he gives you. Now, this word ashamed, I think it's interesting that it's used here. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. By implication, I think that that would show us or say to us, maybe he's felt that way before. Maybe he's felt that shame before. I know for me that that's happened where I've missed an opportunity for the gospel and I felt ashamed of my how do I say it the right way? I felt ashamed of my shame to share the gospel, right? And I was like, oh, I missed an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. And that has provoked me to say, I won't do that again. I'm not gonna miss that opportunity again. I'm not gonna stumble in that moment again. You see, this idea of ashamed, it implies that these are probably Paul's feelings. Well, why? I mean, think about this for a minute. Just put yourself in this context. In a Roman context where, the, where Rome, the most powerful nation in human history up to this point, a nation that has controlled more of the known world than anybody else in human history, even till this day. No one else has covered as much as what Rome had covered in that time. They've controlled more. And in that, this extremely powerful nation the gospel is being preached within that context and the gospel all hinges on 
a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified, who was executed by Rome. Like, where's the glory in that? Where's the power in that? There really isn't any from a human standpoint. From a human perspective, this is not glorious. This is not amazing. This is foolishness. And so there's a sense of shame associated with that. And there's this sense in in which we feel like strange about it. I I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You ever feel weird about, what do I believe? Am I crazy? Have I just thought all this up? If you haven't wrestled with that yet, you will. Uh, You will. All of us do. We all wrestle with that. And the reality is, is that coming through that is vitally important to understanding that God, in fact, has met you where you are and he's brought you to himself and he's transformed your life. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we study the book of Romans with Pastor Cody. Within this book, the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans about personal things such as greeting people he knows, but also touches on some deep theological concepts that can throw people at times. Romans is a foundational book when it comes to what you believe as a Christian. What you can't deny as you read through it is that there's a clear message of God's salvation. We as human beings are separated from God because of sin. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, He redeems all of that and brings us into relationship with Him. Do you have such a relationship with God? We certainly hope so. If you're uncertain what that means, don't hesitate to get in touch to clear up some of the things you may not understand about salvation. You can reach us by going to redemptioncalvary.org. Under the Connect tab, you'll find what we believe the Bible says about salvation. If you'd like to hear someone's voice over the phone, we can do that too. Here's our number, 720 866-5358. Once again, that's 720-466-5358. One more way to get in touch with us is over email. Our email address is info at redemptioncalvary.org. Thanks for listening, and make sure to subscribe to our podcast of Redemption Radio.